Here's looking at you. Real life behavior technicians. Hello and welcome back to another episode of LRBT Podcast, Looking at You, Real Life Behavior Technicians. This is Ben Polikoff. I am your producer, host, editor of this podcast. Although, as I said in the last episode, I would still love to have other behavior technicians involved in this podcast, creating episodes, being episode hosts, episode guests, so on and so forth. However it is that you want to get involved. Um, If you want to get involved at all, just message me um, either on the Discord. The link will be in the episode description. Or you can email me at lrbtpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's lrbtpodcast at gmail.com. For those of you that aren't familiar with Discord, it's a social media platform. Um, but instead of having all these ads and you know pictures and everything else every all over the place, it doesn't have that. Um, it's just a place where you can come, you can... Uh, have discussions, you can get on a voice channel and talk live with somebody, or you can just do it over a text chat. It's really, really nice. So if you're wondering how Discord makes money, people voluntarily choose to pay money to Discord to get some bonuses, some perks to their particular server, um, whichever one they choose, if they're involved in multiple ones, that's how they make money. but they don't make any money through ads. So it's really, really nice. It's a wonderful platform. I highly recommend joining the Discord. Right now it's only me, um, but as people come in and join, then it, it can truly become a wonderful community where behavior technicians can get together, you know, bounce ideas off of each other. If you're getting ready to take the BCBA exam or BCABA exam, you can you know set up a study group once we've got enough people and you can study with people from all across the country if you really want to um so just the plug for the discord uh i did have some people comment on how nice it sounded the the last episode and just want to let you know i'm recording this in the front seat of my car studios like literally i am sitting in the front seat of my car using my phone, recording this episode. That's how I recorded the last episode. So if you feel daunted by uh, the idea of recording and think you need a whole bunch of nice equipment, you really don't. Uh, I'm just using the Anchor app uh, created by Spotify. And that that's really it. I'm just got my phone on the charger. I'm sitting in the front seat of my car and recording this episode. So no excuses. If you want to get involved, it's so easy. Just download the Anchor app or some other recording app and record an episode. You can use the front seat of your car. This is my favorite place because the acoustics are pretty good. I don't have a whole lot of sound bouncing around like if I was inside my house. So it, it's pretty nice. It's pretty good. It's a, it's a good idea. Um, just a little bit of a preview for the upcoming episodes. I'm going to be doing a mini series on single case design research, how to read it, how to visually analyze graphs, how to critique single case design research, what it is. We'll also get into effect sizes, how to determine if an intervention is truly effective, 
Uh, we'll get into meta-analysis of single-case design research. Well, we'll get into a little bit of everything. Now, a little bit of a disclaimer. You can literally take whole courses on this subject. I know. I did it before. So this is just going to be like single-case design research in a nutshell. It's So hopefully it will be a good resource for you. Because as we go throughout this podcast, as we create more episodes, eventually we'll be creating episodes about research, going through different interventions, different techniques that we use in session, helping gain a better understanding of it. Uh, it's an important part of, of what we do and why we do what we do is, is you know, this research that has been the foundation of applied behavior analysis. So... To get into it, let's first start off with what is single-case design research? So I'm not going to answer that question directly. First, I'm going to talk about what is probably a little more familiar to a lot of folks is group design research. So with group design research, the logic behind it is you have a group of individuals where you, you know, Implement an independent variable. You're, you're manipulating something. You're giving them the intervention. And you have a group of individuals that you don't. And you measure what they're like before the intervention. And you measure what they're like after the intervention. And you see what happened. You run some statistics. You look at the scores. And you from there you can decide whether or not... You know, what you think happened actually happened, whether your hypothesis was supported, so on and so forth. This is, you know, basic experimental design. Experiments can get to be a lot more complex than that. You can have so many other layers added into group design research. Literally, just like with single case design, you can take whole classes, you can get a whole degree in experimental psychology and you know that's what your expertise is and that's not mine but i i have a pretty good understanding of, of what's going on so that's the idea behind group research now with single case design research or single subject or within subject research it goes by all those different names i'll just call it single case it's what i have used the most uh, it's the terminology that I'm I'm familiar with the most. Um, instead of having groups where you've got a pretest and a post-test, you're instead taking little measurements all along the way. You are also letting behavior at different points in time act as your control group. So, for instance, the basic model for single-case design research, you've got one individual, one single person, and you're measuring their behavior, his or her behavior, during a baseline where there's no intervention, it's business as usual, it's just the regular straight-up environment, nothing's being done, you're just observing what's happening. This is your control condition. This is your baseline, you're seeing what's happened. Then you have B, which is your intervention condition. You're then implementing your intervention. You've got your independent variable 
intervention in effect, and you're measuring their behavior, which is your dependent variable, and seeing what happens. Hopefully, you see a nice big change between A and B. However, just one instance of, of change between baseline to intervention is insufficient to really be able to show that your intervention is what caused the change in behavior, which is why you need to have at least three changes. So this is where you get into some of the different designs of single case design research. These are your reversal designs, your multiple baseline designs, and your changing criterion designs. You can also have multi-element designs which combine different um, of the basic designs into, into different things um, and have it be a little more complex. It could also... By making it complex, you can also strengthen your argument that the intervention is working. You could also weaken the argument if it's not being well implemented. But let's let's just go over the, the basic designs. So starting with the reversal designs, you'll sometimes hear these called like ABAB. You might see it also be BABA. Sometimes you'll have like an ABCBA or ABC, ABC, you'll have it like random randomized where each different letter is a different condition. Sometimes a different letter beyond B might indicate a different intervention. Sometimes it might be the same intervention with another component added onto it. It really just depends and varies on, on what the researcher is trying to accomplish. Now, what you want to see with the reversal design is you want to see a change from A to B, then another change from B to A, and then another change from A back to B. You want at least those three changes at a minimum. If you don't have those three changes, then when you're looking at, at the research, you got to be pretty skeptical as to whether or not what they're saying is happening is, is actually happening. Now, having done some of the research myself and having been, you know, part of those discussions and, you know, critiqued a, a, you know, a number of, of different research articles, sometimes it's not always possible for the researcher to get all of those different changes. Sometimes a participant drops out. Sometimes... You know, for some ethical reason, you have to stop the experiment. It doesn't always, you know, come up nicely. Humans are complex creatures, and we don't always behave how somebody else wants us to behave. I know, I've gotten in trouble myself plenty of times as a kid. It, it happens. Now... That's your basic reversal design. So you're reversing from your intervention back to your baseline condition, back to your control group, so on and so forth. Now, you have your multiple baseline designs where you have... Now you have multiple participants and... 
ideally you're running the baseline conditions at the same time. That's called a concurrent multiple baseline design. Sometimes you'll have researchers do a non-concurrent multiple baseline design, which really weakens the design. In my opinion, it makes it harder to, to believe their argument that the intervention is, is actually what brought about the change. So with multiple baseline, you're going to have at least three participants. You're going to have participant A, participant 1, we'll do numbers. We'll do participant 1, participant 2, and participant 3. You need at least three. Sometimes you don't get that many. Sometimes in the end, by the time you're publishing or trying to get published, you're down to two. And... You know, you'll have baseline data from one and maybe like a couple data points for number three because somebody drops out. Usually if you're setting up to do that research, you're going to be recruiting, you know, five, six, seven, eight different people in case somebody drops out because chances are somebody will actually drop out. It happens far more frequently than you could possibly imagine. Now, with the multiple baseline design, it's basically exactly what it sounds like. So with participant one, we'll, we'll, talk, we'll suppose that this is a concurrent multiple baseline design. So with participant one, you start measuring out during the baseline condition. Once the you know, baseline condition ends and you implement the you start implementing the intervention so you're just doing the a to b then you're going to continue measuring out baseline for participants two and three and then you're that's going to continue usually at least three to five data points past the start of intervention for participant one and then you're going to implement intervention, the intervention with participant two. You'll continue doing um, baseline for participant number three, and then you'll have, you know, another three to five data points for baseline for participant three, and then you'll start intervention for participant three. So usually what this kind of ends up looking like is you kind of end up seeing like a stair step sort of graph where you have um, you know, the, the differentiation between participant one, a stack of participant one, two, three, their graphs are stacked underneath on top of each other. Then you'll see a line differentiating between the baseline and the intervention conditions. And you'll see a nice little jet over to the next baseline saying like, hey, this is all connected and and this is you know all related to each other. That's generally what how those graphs will look like. I'll try within the next little while, maybe not with this episode, maybe with the next episode. I'll try to get some links to the, some articles or even just to the graphs, post some links to, to pictures of, of some graphs, for example, so that way. You can take a look at them. 
uh, and have a better idea as to, as to like what I'm talking about. Because a lot of this is visual. That's the main thing with single case design research is this is all, the data is all going to be graphed. It's all going to be very visual, um, which in many regards can be nice. It, it helps in, in many instances to make the argument clearer than in group design where you have to be familiar with the statistics and make a call whether or not the statistical test that they used is was the correct one. Um, so it, it makes it a little easier to, to critique the the research and to understand what it is that's going on. Now, when you don't have those three participants, the three different graphs in a multiple baseline design, like I said, it, it really weakens the argument. If you have more than the three, then it really strengthens your argument, particularly if all those graphs, you know, have that really big change between your baseline and your intervention conditions. Now, for the changing criterion designs, those are, sometimes you have one participant, sometimes you have multiple participants, but the control and the change comes when you change the criterion for reinforcement or, you know, escape or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that the intervention is, whatever it is that they're working for, we'll, we'll say positive reinforcement. We'll say that they're being rewarded. So you've got your participant, you've got your baseline condition. This is universal throughout single case design research. You have to have the baseline condition. If you don't, then your, your research isn't as strong. Your argument about your research isn't as strong. Got to have baseline. You have your baseline condition, then you implement your, you know, intervention condition with the first criterion. So you're going to say something like, Susie needs to say the word wish with reasonable approximation 50% of the time. So it needs to at least say with 50% of the time. Then you'll, once they've, once Susie has reached 50%, you're going to change the criterion for reinforcement again to say 60%. So 60% of the time, it's, she needs to say with rather than eh or sh, you know, whatever, whatever it is that you're not wanting. But 60% of the time, she has to do what it is that you are trying to get her to do, what, what you're trying to teach her to do, in order to get reinforcement. Once she's met that, usually for at least three to five data points. That's, that's your magic number. At least three, preferably five or more, to really make a good argument. Once, they reach, once Susie reaches that, then you're going to change the criterion again to you know, 80, 90, so on and so forth, and until you finally are reaching the level that you want. To make that argument that what you're doing has the intended effect. Again, you're looking for at least three changes. So you're looking for change from your A 
to criterion one, criterion one to criterion two, and then criterion two to criterion three. So you want to see at least those three changes, preferably more. Now, if you don't see those, then it's really hard to, to make the argument that the intervention is, is actually what's causing things. could be any number of things. You, you want to see those different things in there. Now, let's talk about a little bit about what the graphs are going to look like. Just to wrap up this episode and kind of set it up for the next episode where I'll be going into visual analysis. I've kind of alluded to it a little bit. So visual analysis is, is exactly that. It's the visual analysis of the graphs. It's supposed to be the gold standard of single case design research evaluation. Um, there are some issues with it. it. It's not a perfect system by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I'll, I'll get into some of the issues that come with visual analysis and doing visual analysis alone. But, okay, so, I digress. With the reversal designs, you're going to see, preferably, at least four sections, with at least three data points each. Now, what you're hoping to see before, and baseline condition, is you're wanting to see it nice flat stable line you don't always get that but you're wanting to see at least three to five data points nice nice straight line preferably then you're going to see another section and that's going to be your intervention your b and then you'll see another section and then another section so you'll have four sections which will be your a b a b preferably they should be labeled. If they're not labeled, then you have to ask yourself what in the world happened because you don't really know. It could be BABA, uh, -B -A, could be ABBA. -B -A. You know, the researchers could have done anything. And while they're, they're, the text of the article might describe what happened and, and what they were doing, you, you don't really get it. And you won't really have an ABBA ever. You shouldn't ever see that, I just realized, because that's just an ABA. Um, baseline intervention, baseline. So you're not getting all the replications that you really need. So that, that's what you're going to see there. With the multiple baseline design, you're going to see a graph with, the, with stair steps. You're going to see three graphs, one on top of each other, with that stair step separator one after the other for when it switches to intervention for participant one, when it switches to intervention a little further along for participant two, and a little further along with participant three. With the changing criterion design, you're also going to see at least four sections, preferably more, but with those, where it's going to be different from your ABAB, you're going to see a line, a horizontal line on the graph in each section indicating what the criterion was for that particular section of the study. 
if you see that, then you, you've got to, preferably with the line either going up if they're trying to increase the behavior or going, you know, going down in like a stair step sort of fashion if they were trying to decrease the behavior. Again, you're wanting to see at least three to five data points in each section. If you don't, then you got to wonder what's going on and, and whether or not that, you know, that particular condition is, is actually accurately representative of the behavior that, that should have been occurring during that. You, you don't really get a good picture uh, of what was happening. And to be honest, you don't always get those three to five data points. Somehow, miraculously, you'll still have research published, even though it's peer-reviewed, where they don't meet these minimum standards. How it happens, I don't really know. Sometimes it's just experimental with the particular intervention. I, I don't really know. But you'll see this if you, if you go through the research. You'll often hear it referred to as the literature. It really just refers to all the research on the subject that is out there, that has been done since it has been recorded in human history. That is known as the literature. Just so you're familiar with the term. Now, thanks for listening. This is a lot to get through. There's a lot more to come. There, with between a visual analysis and effect sizes and meta-analysis, which for me, that's really where the rubber hits the road for single case design research. Because one of the problems and issues, while I'm thinking about it, with single case design research is you can't really generalize one research study to the wider population. You can't really say that my study works with, you know, all these different groups of people. You can't say that because it was only with this one person. Say you're doing the research with a six-year-old. You can't say that your intervention really works with, you know, 12, 15-year-olds because you only did it with a six-year-old. You might get away with saying it could work with a seven-year-old, but again, you can't really say that because you didn't do the research with a seven-year-old. So you have this problem with external validity, whether or not your study generalizes to broader populations. You can have really good internal validity, which is the argument that your intervention is what caused all of the changes in behavior, but you have this problem with external validity with single case design research. Now, before I, I get too far off onto all these tangents, if you have questions, please email me. If whatever it is that you want to hear, questions that you want to have answered about single case design research, please email me, find me on the Discord, message me, and I will be happy to get to those. Chances are, I can tell you, if I don't know the answer directly, then I will look it up. I'll, I'll find out for you. I'm more than happy to, to help you learn about this subject. It is something that I am passionate about. I, I love research. Um, and it does perform, provide the basis for what we do in clinic, in clinical settings, in home, in 
you know, for, for what we do in practice. While we aren't going to do reversal designs, we're not going to be doing multiple baseline designs, we're not evaluating the changes that we are bringing about in that sort of fashion. We are providing, we do measure baseline. We aren't necessarily going to do three to five data points. We might just do one or two just to see where they're starting at and to have an idea of, of what sort of programs to implement or how to write a program, you know, what the needs of the client are. We do have those baseline conditions. And then we also have our intervention and, you know, we can have maintenance and generalization conditions that we throw in there as well, where we're seeing if the skills are maintaining or if they've generalized to other settings or other people, you know, things like that, that will come along, you know, we'll have that sort of stuff happen, but it's not necessarily going to be, we're not going to be following these rigorous standards for that research should be following. Um, but that way we can show to our families, to our patients, to insurance companies, you know, important stakeholders that what we're doing is having an effect. Um, and, you know, here's an argument. Here's the data backing up our argument. So that, that comes from single case design research. That is you know, why we, we run our programs the way we do. And I hope that by, you know, helping you understand and gain that greater understanding of single case design research can help illuminate, you know, what is, what is going on in your own clinical practice. I'm going to cut it off here and I'll probably be doing another episode a lot sooner. I know it was a couple of weeks since my last episode. In part because I don't have other people creating episodes and other content yet. Um, but also because we've got COVID. And I, I wasn't able to... Being stuck at home and not really wanting to go out. It's also cold outside right now. So I didn't really want to go sit in my car. Um, but today it's not too bad out here in North Carolina, and, and I'm able to sit in my car and, and record this. So, thanks for listening. If you have questions, email me, lrbtpodcast at gmail.com, or find me on the Discord, message me there. I'll be happy to answer any questions. Also, love to have you involved. If you have an idea for an episode, even if you don't want to be the episode creator and host just let me know what it is that you want to hear about and i'll be more than happy to create an episode for you um i can have you come on as a guest you know what whatever it is you want to do this podcast is really for behavior technicians whatever it is that you want to hear about i, I want to give that to you so before I get going too far, because I, I keep on going on, thanks for listening. Hope to catch you next time. Spread the word. Spread the love. Hope that this can really grow and, and be a wonderful resource for behavior technicians all across the country that, that can really benefit from this. And maybe even share some of this knowledge with their families, so on and so forth. 
Thanks for listening. We'll catch you later.